Today's lesson is the unshakable kingdom. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to begin ahead of those verses, so I'm going to back up a little bit. And my first uh, indication on the outline is really a summary of the entire book of Hebrews. And I think we have to put in context when we get to this idea of this unshakable kingdom that we're going to be encouraged by being a part of, we have to put it in context of what is being spoken of. And it's just a beautiful thing. The first covenant, the law of Moses, and by the way, the word covenant is used all the way through the book of, of Hebrews. It's an important word. And actually, it doesn't necessarily mention, even though uh, the writer refers to the law of Moses a bunch, that's kind of what he's alluding to, that first covenant, the law of Moses. It began with shaking. And that was the earth and people. You can go back, if you don't remember that, you can look back at Exodus chapter 19. And actually, it's in verse number 18 and a preceding verse before that that mentions the people were trembling. And then the earth, the earth shook. It trembled. The whole mountain trembled. So that first covenant began with shaking the earth and the people. God, his voice shaking the mountain and the people shaking with fear. They were all quaking. It also, and, and there's a reference to that in our, in our verse today, um, and it ended with shaking. It ended with shaking. So we'll talk about that more, and I'll try to prove my case to you, because this is a little bit of a difficult verse. And the message that I have today for you is really uh, consider this, and it's something that you've got to take and you're going to have to think about. Because going into this sermon, I really didn't have this specific understanding of what the, our scripture reading verses, what those were talking about. I think what I present to you today is a clear and good understanding of what was intended by the author. But I ask you to consider it, and you read the entire book of Hebrews, and you consider it in the context of what was going on in, the, in terms of all of scripture. And we'll hand at just a few of those things today. So the, un, the, the first covenant, it began with shaking and it ended with shaking. But the new covenant in Christ's blood, remember Jesus said this, this is the covenant in my blood. As he uh, took care of the, uh, the apostles at the Lord's Supper and passed that on then to us too. Is that we participate in the new covenant in his blood. Um, that new covenant in Christ's blood established an unshakable kingdom. An unshakable kingdom. The first covenant, they were, the scripture here doesn't reference it as a kingdom, but the, the nation of Israel was a kingdom. And it was established and it was built up then according to the law of Moses. That's what made them a distinct people, a distinct nation, a kingdom all of their own. Well, the new kingdom comes, the old kingdom goes away, and the new kingdom is an unshakable kingdom. And Christians today participate in that kingdom. This new kingdom, the unshakable kingdom, the one that's not going to be shaken, it's not going to come to an end. So let's consider this. The new covenant is better than the old. 
The new covenant is better than the old. That is the sum of Hebrews. You look at Hebrews, it talks about better, 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 better. The new covenant is better than the previous covenant, the first covenant. We refer to it as the old covenant. Okay, so that is a reference to the law of Moses. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. The first couple of verses here are going to be talking about the first covenant, that first nation that was established. So verse 18 says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to a blast of the trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word could not be spoken to them. So pause there. This is a description of Mount Sinai. Moses gets called up by God onto the mountain, and God's speaking, and he speaks to him, and the, the earth shakes, and then God speaks to all the people. And in that, as you look back there, you can see that God, when God was speaking to the people, and the earth was trembling, they heard his voice, and there was this darkness, there was smoke like the smoke of a furnace, so there would have been darkness and gloom. The presence of God we always think of as light. Well, during the daytime, it was darkness. This dark cloud settles down upon that mountain, God's presence there. And so as that happens, all of these things were true at Mount Sinai when that first covenant was given. The, the covenant was given through Moses. So it was, that mountain couldn't be touched. It was a blazing fire. It had darkness and gloom and whirlwind and the blast of the trumpet sound. That's all mentioned there. Those people, though, were like, oh, Moses, you go up on the mountain. You go and talk to him. If we listen to him, we will die. So that's how it happened. Moses went up and uh, spoke to God on the mountain for the people. But now notice it says, for you have not come to a mountain like that. It's different for you. It is different for now. And he's speaking, as we've, we've spoken about, he's, he's speaking to the books entitled Hebrews. The whole book kind of bears this out. It's people who were Christians who claimed to be in Christ, but now they were kind of going back to following that old law. Going back to the law of Moses. They're taking a step back from their faith. Taking... They are letting loose of the confession that they have made in Christ, putting their faith in him. And they're saying, well, we still need some of the old law, some of that law of Moses. We can't let go of that. You haven't come to a mountain like that. Something different is here. So let's talk about, well, in verse number 21, it does go on to, uh, or verse 20, we haven't read yet. It says, for they could not bear the command... If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. The people couldn't deal with it. If we go up there, we'll die. They couldn't deal with that. Verse 21, And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Even Moses is given that, that powerful God and that he was in, in communication with and his wrath that would come upon sin if you... If you approached and you got out of line with him he was full of fear and trembling verse 22 
Always a great, almost always a great word. There's some very specific Bible verses where you can come to that but is the greatest word ever. So you haven't come to that kind of a mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Which one do you want to choose? You can tell by the tone of my voice which one I would rather choose, right? The mountain, you know, with the shaking and everything, people trembling. Or do you want to come to Mount Zion, this, this beautiful description? And I, I, kind of, I kind of think even this idea that was mentioned at the very end of verse number 24. You come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, You know, this new covenant in the blood, it's the reference here, into the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than that of Abel. Better than the blood of Abel. Abel, when he was slain and came through, you know, took him out in the field and killed him, his, God says, I can hear his his blood is crying out from the earth or from the ground, however it's worded there. That was like, Something's wrong. Something, there's need, we need some vengeance. Somebody needs punished. There has been an injustice. That was how the blood of Abel spoke. But the blood of Jesus, it speaks better than that. The blood of Jesus speaks, well, what do you think of when you think of the blood of Jesus? Forgiveness. Sacrifice. Mercy, by his blood, we are saved. So here is that new covenant. They don't compare. The new covenant is better than the old. At the, uh, in the highlight, the title for my particular Bible, it has listed before verse 18. It says, contrast of Sinai and Zion. Which one do you want to be a part of? What began at Sinai is nothing compared to what happened at Mount Zion, the the covenant that was established when Jesus died for us on that cross. It's a beautiful thing. The new covenant is better. Now, if you've got that context firmly established in your mind and you agree with that, then let's move on. Because now God is going to speak to the Christians who were backpedaling, going back to the law of Moses, going back to a a gospel that really is no gospel at all. It's not good news. So let's consider this. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth. Pause. That's just a reference to that old law. Moses warned them. All the prophets warned them. God did all that on the earth. When they were breaking the law of Moses, they got warned. And they were punished. They didn't escape, right? 
For if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. Even the book of Hebrews itself established that Jesus is at the very right hand of God. He is the the great high priest who mediates for us at the right hand. He's in the presence of the Father at the right hand of the throne of God. So, the warning comes. If they had warnings under the old covenant, now that we're under a better covenant and we try and step away from it, they got punished if they stepped away from the covenant in the old What about if we step away from the covenant anew? What if we step back away from Jesus? The beginning of the verse in 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. That takes you back all the way to chapter 1, verse number 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. His Son speaking to us. Not through the prophet, you know, listen to the son. God exclaimed from heaven when Jesus was immersed. Listen to him. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him at up on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Oh, but we hear Moses calling That law is in our hearts. We've always done it. That's who we are. And there it's backpedaling and going away, letting go of Jesus. God was speaking to the Christians who were going back to the law of Moses, which was about to be shaken to an end. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. Hebrews 8, 13 makes this understandable, clear And without a doubt, what he is speaking of in this entire book. 8.13. When he said a new covenant, and that was a reference to to the prophecies in Jeremiah. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. That word obsolete just means old and worn out. So it's not wrong to call that first covenant the old covenant, the Old Testament. Because it was becoming worn out. It was old. It's obsolete. And that's not saying it's bad. It served its wonderful purpose to bring us to Jesus. That foreshadowing, how great and wonderful. And we can still learn so much about Jesus when we go back and study the old covenant. So don't misunderstand me saying that this is old, so it's bad. No, 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 no. Okay? All right, verse 13 again. When he said a new covenant, or a new one, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete is becoming. Do you hear that? And this is probably, Hebrews is probably written in the 60s. 30 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. Okay? Okay? So this is an indication that God is really, really patient with the the nation of Israel. He's really patient with the Jews. He's like, I've given you 30 years to start learning and figuring this out, that that first covenant is becoming old and worn out, and you've got to grab hold of the new one. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Do you hear him saying, now's the time. I've been patient with you for these 30 years. 
But now it's becoming old. It's becoming worn out. It's becoming obsolete. You can't keep going to it and expecting it to do for you what can only be done by the blood of Jesus. Every spiritual blessing we have is in Christ Jesus, not in following an old law. Look at Ephesians. Read the beginning of Ephesians. Okay. So, the context for what these... First, who this was written to, these people are hearing a message that's saying, you can't keep going back. It's, it's about to be done away with. We're being warned. So don't refuse Jesus. Do not refuse him who is speaking. On to verse number 26. And his voice shook the earth then. Just as it said up in verses 18 and following, the shaking of the earth then was at Mount Sinai. That's per the context. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, saying what? Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And now, I, in the midst of discussions and developing this sermon, I was like, if you go back to that, I think that's from Haggai, wasn't it? Uh, Haggai chapter something, oh, it's on the previous page. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. I was like, you know, if you go back to Haggai and read that, it seems like God is saying that someday I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And to me, I was like, Haggai's talking about when... Jesus comes. He's the one who shook everything up. He changed everything. He turned the world upside down, didn't he? He, you know, he established this new covenant. That was talking about when Jesus came. And now I'm like, this doesn't make sense because Hebrews is written after. You know, the shaking's already done, right? Jesus already came. He already died. He was already resurrected. And what happened when he died? What happened when he was resurrected? When he died, there was such an earthquake that what happened to the the veil in the temple? Ripped in two from top to bottom. There was an earthquake when he died. He screamed, his last, last voice was, he screamed out, and there was an earthquake. You hear it? There was a shaking, there was an earthquake. Jesus shook things. Yet once more, I will shake not only. The heaven, or the earth, but also the heavens. Jesus shook everything up. Matthew, um, well, let me get back to my notes here. Matthew, uh, oh, I don't have the, actually, Matthew chapter 27, I believe, is where we have the shaking up of things when he died. But you also have mentioned in Matthew that when he rose from the dead on that resurrection morning, remember, there was an earthquake for from heaven there came an angel, and he rolled the, and the stone was rolled away. So there is shaking in connection. There is earthquake in connection with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So I think I got that Haggai 2.6 thing kind of right, didn't I? I'll shake the earth and also the heaven. And you go back and read the, resur- the, the death and resurrection story of Jesus in the book of Matthew, and you'll see some neat things there. But 
that only covered part of the shaking. Because I believe there was some more shaking. I should have had those other shakings in my notes. But listen, the things that, that can be shaken as of the created things, look at, look at verse, number, um, verse number 27. It says, This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of things which can be shaken. As of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Okay, before I really thought about this much, I thought now this is talking about a judgment at the end of time, and a lot of people still believe that. But no, I think this is an indication that Jesus shook things at his death and at his resurrection, but there was one more shaking that had to take place to let the Jews know for sure that the old covenant was done. So back per the notes, the things that can be shaken as of created things was the law of Moses and those who clung to it. All the things, the the earthly things connected with that law of Moses, those things could be shaken. And if you consider that the, the law in that sense was shaken and done away with, the earthquake came and it Tumbled down, Jesus warned that it would be shaken. Now we can go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verse number 1. And the key here is verse number 7. It mentions earthquakes. But look at what these earthquakes, these shakings, will be connected with. So forgive me for reading fast, but this is the temple. Jesus saying, it's going to be destroyed. Jesus came out of the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. It's going to get shaken. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now they just had to go ask so many questions that it made it a little bit more complex, the the answer. But anyhow, here we go. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, mind you, he is talking about when will these things happen? That's the first question. When will these things happen? When is the temple going to get destroyed? Pretty clear. Jesus answered and said, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will will be hearing wars and rumors of wars. And so by now, people are already, oh, this is end times. Yeah, the end times for the temple. This is the end of the temple. That's what the, the context is here. Don't get confused. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it, see that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the birth, beginning of birth pangs. Then, you will, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. By the way, you're kind of getting a picture of what 
was actually taking place by the time Hebrews was written. This is what these people were going through. Verse 11, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. Look at chapter 13, verse 1, see how it starts in Hebrews. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. The end of what? The temple... And that is symbolic of what? The end of the Old Covenant. Skip over to verse 29 of Matthew 24. 29 through 31. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Again, I ask you to not get confused. This is a time of the judgment coming upon uh, the people, the, the Jews, the Israel, um, perhaps even hence then even of, towards Rome. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky and with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels and a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. With the destruction of the temple, chapter 1, verse number 2, excuse me, Matthew 24, verse 2. With the destruction of the temple comes all these things. With the destruction of the temple comes is a symbolic thing of all things in the, in the powers of heavens being shaken. Verse 29. The Hebrews, the letter then that we're right, looking at when we get to the Hebrews, it was probably written in the 60s, probably right before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. So we can see God saying throughout this entire book is that the, the end of Judaism, what was becoming worn out and obsolete, that old covenant, is ready to disappear. Not saying it's bad. It just had served its time. It served its wonderful purpose to bring us to Christ. And with the bringing of Christ... That brings us to the faithful Christians. So let's continue on. Verse number 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom, or since we are receiving a kingdom, which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So now that he has established that that the people who were going back to the old law, they were in great danger and they needed to not refuse Jesus, then he moves on to say, but to the Christians, to those who are faithful to Christ, you are receiving and we do receive and we are receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
The first one was shaken. It came to an end. But we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's an unshakable kingdom. I like that phrase. I'm a part of an unshakable kingdom. So therefore, we need to show gratitude to God. Thankfulness to God. Thankfulness for Jesus, not turning our back on Christ. In everything that we do and in every way that we live, every decision we make, every thought that we have, we show gratitude to Jesus. Gratitude to God for his son which was, who was offered for us. Show gratitude. And then it says, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service. Um, that, uh, that word there can be tra- interpreted worship. So we worship God. We serve God acceptably because we have gratitude for what he's done for us. We do that with fear and reverence and awe. Now this is interesting because now it has turned around. Hey, wait, didn't it Sinai, didn't they have some fear and trembling? And that was part of what was, you know, what we don't necessarily like about it. I like the one better without fear and trembling. Well, God is still the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Chapter 13, verse 8. (coughs) But we still need to respect God. We still need to know that if we turn from Jesus, what happens? If they got punished under the old covenant, we can be punished under the new. And in fact, we need to accept even the, the discipline that we receive. And that's how chapter 12 started out, talking about the discipline we receive from God. We need to accept that and be grateful for it and just love God, serve God, no matter how difficult things were. And look, having looked at Matthew chapter 24, we understand that these people that this book was initially written to were going through great and terrible hardships. They had all kinds of reasons to kind of turn back to that old law because following Christ was getting really, really tough. But instead of going back, be grateful because you are part of an unshakable kingdom. Towards the end of verse number 5, it says, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? It doesn't matter what. We're a part of the unshakable kingdom. We go out these doors today. We go, if you're at home, you're going to go out your doors sometime, somewhere. And even as you're living at home, it doesn't matter where we are, who we're around. We can live with boldness, with strength in Christ and live for him and to speak for him and to confess his name. Verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. We can do that because we're part of this unshakable kingdom. We have this confidence and boldness. And as long as we're walking in Christ, we don't live in fear except for the fear of God, a healthy and wonderful fear. So Christians, fix your eyes on Jesus. Not on the things of the world and do great things by your faith. That's what we spoke on last week. And you can do this because you have nothing to fear for you're a part of an unshakable kingdom. We can walk and stand firm in Christ. And that doesn't mean to be hitting people over the head with the Bible, but it's what we believe we can have confidence in. And Jesus in our lives is a beautiful 
wonderful thing that cannot be shaken. Let the love of the brethren continue. Let us live for Christ Jesus. And if you're anybody is listening to this message at the moment I'm speaking it now or you hear it later, I'd ask, what are you involved in that will not be shaken someday? Even in terms of just the world and time going on, it seems like everything comes to an end, yet all things always stay the same, right? But what's something you're involved in that will last? Maybe you'd say love. Um, you know, I'd say you're getting close to a good answer. All things in this life, though, will come to an end, but the kingdom of Christ, the unshakable kingdom, will endure forever, and Christ invites you to be a part of his kingdom. When we come to this table, this very moment, a second, we're remembering him, and remembering that we are in him, and that we are in his kingdom, unshakable. Be grateful for that and live according to that. If you're not a part of the kingdom, give your life to Christ in baptism and be in Christ and a part of the unshakable kingdom forever.